That was awesome. Can we praise God for our band one more time? That was just, wow. That was good. They'll be going on tour here in a little bit, and they'll, they'll leave us and get all famous on us and everything. No, it is, it is awesome. And there's, uh, I don't know if you feel this or not, but there is a certain buzz. There is a certain, a certain energy uh, in the room today. Is there not? Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like, man, yeah. Good job, you guys. That was, I just, there are certain Sundays where just like everybody's like, ah, you had Mountain Dew for breakfast or something. Like, Man, it just feels like that. And, and I don't know about you, but like we've got people sitting out in the lobby today. Do, do you, you do know it's the middle of July, right? Churches aren't supposed to grow in the summer, right? So praise God for that. Praise God for you. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> growing in multiple ways. I don't know if you noticed when Jed dismissed the kids, half the congregation got up and left. So I, I don't know what that says. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about more uh, of that later. But praise God. Um, you having a good summer so far? Good. You know, you, I, I hate to break it to you, uh, now that the kids are gone, we can talk about this. School's going to start soon. Um, I, I know this because Walmart has their school supplies out. You can always tell. They have, probably have them out in May. Uh, but a few weeks from now, uh, you are going to be reflecting back on your summer. I know it's hard to believe that already. We have to start talking about that. And you're going to be thinking about, you know, what, what was the highlight of my summer? Some of you are thinking of that, like, right now. What's the, the most favorite thing that you've done so far this summer. What, somebody's going to ask you, what was the highlight? What was your mountaintop experience? What was the thing that just grabbed you that just, man, this was just awesome? For some of you, it was that family trip. For some of you, it was a, a family reunion. For some of you, uh, doing, you know, projects around the house or whatever it was. And I was thinking, when the end of August comes and you're thinking about what is the, the first thing that pops into your head, what if somebody asked you, what was the highlight of your summer? I just want you to go with me for a second here. What was the highlight of your summer? And you said, knowing Jesus more deeply. Knowing Jesus more deeply. I know what some of you are thinking. He's the pastor. He gets paid to say that. I'm sure he sits around and meditates all summer and just prays all day long and never has any fun and never goes on vacation. That is absolutely not true. I'm not saying that because I'm the pastor. I'm saying that because I'm John. And I'm a guy that longs to know Jesus in a deeper way. And I was praying about today and I was thinking about today and all the amazing things that, that I, as I watch Facebook and see all the, th- I'm watching you, by the way, on Facebook, um, all the things that you do and all the thing, exciting things that you've done this summer and thinking about my own life and the things that I've done. I want to get to the end of this summer and I want to reflect back and say the highlight of my summer was coming here every week because we got to go through the Gospels together and we got to experience Jesus for who he really was and, and he continues to change me and transform me and, and Jesus just fills me up in ways that nothing else can. Amen? What if that was the highlight of your summer? Like authentically, genuinely not saying that because you're at church or because Pastor John said that should be your highlight. So yeah, that's me. What if it was? What if he was everything for you? What if, what if you looked forward to reading this book? I love how the book of 1 John puts it. And sometimes just for a little boost or a different angle added, I like to go to the message version. I'm gonna, uh, some of this is going to be up on the screen, but I just want to read this to you. This is how the Apostle John puts it in 1 John chapter 1. He says, The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. 
And now we're telling you that we, what we witnessed was incredible. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And then listen to this. They say, our motive for writing, for writing these stories down, our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. When's the last time that you sat down and read the Bible, read the Gospels in particular, and said, I really enjoyed that? Like, I know that sounds crazy, but like, Wow, that was refreshing to my soul. Not just I really enjoyed the act of it, but, but more importantly than that, I read something in the Gospels and I read about this man named Jesus and I enjoyed it. Oh, that was great. Or is it, I did my Bible study for this week. Uh, we, we want you to enjoy this too. This is John. He's walked with Jesus for three years, and now he's reflecting back, not just on his summer, but he's reflecting back on his life. And it wasn't just the highlight of his summer. It was the highlight of his entire life. And you can feel the passion in his voice. Why would we keep this to ourselves? There's nothing better than knowing Jesus. And if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, hear me say this about that that book that you hold in front of you. The Gospels were not written as a boring textbook on how to be a better person. They were written so that you could experience the same Jesus that the disciples walked with and that you would be captivated by him. Amen? This is not a book of rules that you keep on the shelf and pull it out once in a while. This is the bread of life. This is a cool drink to a parched soul. I want Jesus to be the highlight of your summer. I want him to be your everything. And that's why we're reading through the Gospels this year at Hope. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We just finished Mark and now we're in to Luke. And the way that Luke in particular, where we're going to go today, the way that Luke wants you to experience Jesus is through various signs. Everybody say signs. One of Luke's main goals is not to just come out and and straight just tell you who Jesus is, but he's writing to an audience in particular that would understand the Old Testament history, and people need evidence. They need to connect Jesus to the story of God. And so that's Luke's purpose, is giving us a bunch of signs that's going to connect Jesus so that we'll know that we know he is the one. Signs all over the place in Luke. And of course, the deal with signs is that whether it's a road sign or, or what a sign that you see around a building or anything like that, it's, a, it's an object or like a tangible thing that points to a deeper, bigger reality. The point is not the sign. The point is the message behind the sign, right? It's the truth behind the sign. It points to something bigger. And I know this particularly well when it comes to signs of a particular young lady, when it comes to relationships with the opposite gender, more often than not, guys, I think if we're honest, it is the guys that have a harder time picking up on signs than the ladies. Guys, can I get a, an amen grunt? Okay, there we go, good. See, you just know what I'm talking about. That's weird. Um, and so uh, my sophomore year of college, um, I start hanging out with this group of friends, And in this group of friends, there is this young, cute volleyball player from Marshalltown. 
She's ripped. I'm kind of intimidated by her because she's on the volleyball team. And of course, I think, oh, this is great. We'll all just hang out and we'll be in this group of friends and we'll all just hang out together. And of course, I'm not even thinking about dating anybody. I, I don't have time. I don't have the focus for that. I'm trying to get up before noon and have one article of clean clothing. Like, you know, guys, when you're in college, like just ramen noodles and you know, pick it up off the pile. Doesn't smell too bad. I'll wear that shirt today. Like, that was my focus my sophomore year of college. And so we started to hang out in this group, and I started to notice this girl named Tiffany a little bit more. And supposedly, I, she started to notice me. And so we start to, to hang out a little bit more. We're hanging out in a group, and I'm just like, oh, you know, this is fine. And, and, and she would, like, hang afterward, stay afterwards to hang out with me, and we got to know each other a little bit and each other's backgrounds. And then one day, I'm sitting around with just the dudes, with just the guys, and we're sitting around and, and sharing our feelings, as guys do. And um, <laughs> no, really, we work, <laughs> kind of. Um, and we're sitting around, and one of my guy friends goes, John, do you, do you think this Tiffany girl kind of likes you? And I'm like... <laughs> Absolutely not. What would she like about me? I mean, really, are you kidding? Why in the world would you think that? And they all just, it was this awkward pause, and they all just looked at me, and like in unison, they went, are you blind? Like, are you, are you blind? They said, the signs, the signs, John, are everywhere. And they had like this list prepared for me of why I should date Tiffany Weir at the time. Like, they, the signs are everywhere. Number one, they said, have you ever noticed how she just stays around all the time to get to know you? And she asks you questions. And when you talk, she actually listens to you verbal process, which not every woman will do because, John, you kind of talk a lot, right? This is a pretty special woman. So number one. Number two, who has helped you study for almost every test this year? Oh, yeah, that's right. I probably would have flunked out if it wasn't for her. Okay. And then number three, the big one, she was willing to sit through the entire trilogy of the Lord of the Rings with you, John, without walking out of your dorm room. I mean, seriously, right? Dude, open your eyes. Pay attention. The signs are everywhere. Well, eventually, I did. It only took me like two years to get this figured out that, you know, maybe she wanted to be more than just buddies, right? Guys, never call your wife your buddy, by the way. That's, that's not, that, not good. I should have started a lot earlier, and I would have if I would have noticed the signs. The message of the sign was Mr. Annenson, she was trying to communicate to you, I like you, let's be in a relationship, right? Guys, you ever experienced this? Like, oh, I should have known it the whole time she was into me. But we just don't get these things. We're just a little slower with these things. Let's be in relationship. The signs were pointing to the bigger reality. And that's what Luke is after as we go through this gospel in particular, and in particular our story for today. The signs are everywhere, and if we pay attention, we will get to know the same Jesus that the disciples did. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 9 if you're not there already. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 28. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. And so we read it with the kind of the setup of the story. Jesus has been doing ministry for a while. We read that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, kind of his inner circle. Jesus had the 12. We had the 72. We had the 12. And he had the three that he spent a majority of his time with that he was pouring his life into, and, and they to him. Just as an aside, who are your three? just before we get into the story, do you have at least three people that you know really well and that know you really well? 
Who are your three? Just write that down. Think about that. Who are my three? So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain with him to pray. Now just pause there for a second because you might miss this reality. Some of you think prayer is really intimidating, and some of you I've talked to, you're like, I, I'm fine praying in a more private way, but I don't really want to you know, do it out loud because I've heard this excuse before. I, I don't want to pray out loud because sometimes I just feel like Jesus is so far away and he's not there, right? You want to talk about an intimidating prayer meeting. Imagine being Peter, James, and John, and Jesus says, get up this morning, guys. You're going to be in my prayer group, and we're going to go to the top of this mountain. No more excuses about not praying out loud, you guys, because Jesus seems far away. He's right there, right? Imagine praying with Jesus, right? This is a pretty incredible experience. But as it turns out, this is no ordinary prayer time. Look at verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Has that ever happened to you during your prayer time? You just started glowing? Anybody that close to Jesus? Okay, no. All right, not me either. So this must be something special. So Luke is giving us these details for a reason, and it's the first of several signs. So if you look at the signs that are here in Luke, and you can make this little chart on your paper as well. There's kind of the sign here, and then there is the reality that we know that signs point to. So we're going to look at a few of those. And the first sign is this blinding light, this blinding light that we read about. It's important to know that the Greek word here, it says uh, they were as white as a flash of lightning, exasperaton. Everybody say exasperaton. That word, all right? It sounds like some sort of like superpower that like a Marvel character has, right? Jesus has exasperaton, do you? Right? So he's glowing like lightning, and it's only used once in all of Scripture, and it's used to describe something that's so bright that it's blinding that it literally covered him like a robe. Now, I was thinking about this scene, and I'm like, how do I capture the scene, the essence, and give people a picture of what this was. And because Tiffany was so patient with me and we watched Lord of the Rings together so many times, I couldn't help but think of this one scene that's just like, that is the transfiguration with a little Hollywood Lord of the Rings twist. Okay? So as you watch this scene, think, I wonder if that's kind of what it was like. Let's take a look. Is anybody else picking up on this? They totally stole that from Jesus, okay? (laughs) Seriously, right? They're on a mountain. There's three guys. It's kind of dark and cloudy. And then the hero of the story, the Christ character, shows up and he is in a blinding white light, right? Who says that Hollywood doesn't steal from the story of God, right? Now, minus the bows and arrows and the swords, I don't think Jesus was like fighting them off or anything like that, but that gives you a picture of what this blinding light was like. It's this incredible experience that they have. Gandalf was exasperated, transfigured before them, but the thing is, Jesus isn't some wizard. It's much deeper than that because a little bit later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus would, that same Jesus would stand up in front of the crowds and say, get this, I'm the light of the world. Like, not there's a light shining on me or somebody put a light on me. I am the light. I am the light, Jesus says. 
only God, only God himself could say to those in the crowd and to those of us here today, and if you follow that light, if you trust in that light, you will never walk in darkness. Some of you feel like, man, I'm going through a really dark time right now. Some of you are saying, I feel really lonely. I feel really alone. It's really dark in my life right now. Anytime you feel that, I want you to imagine that scene. I want you to imagine that blinding light that shines into your darkness. Jesus says, I am the light of your world and you will never walk alone. The sign is this light. The sign is this light. The reality is that you are never alone. Write that down. You are never alone. It's something much deeper than that. Jesus says, I am the light of life. Pay attention to the signs. And if that wasn't enough, if that experience for Peter, James, and John wasn't enough, we read on in verse 30. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. Guys, that's what you say to your wife when they walk out of the house every morning, right? Glorious splendor, right? Talking with Jesus. Verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. So we're getting close to the death and resurrection. So if you're, (laughs) think about this for a second. If you're the other three disciples, imagine coming back down the mountain and like the rest of the disciples are like camped out and Jesus like, hey, you know, the three of them and me, we're going to take a little field trip up the mountain. You guys stay here and have your sack lunch and we're going to go up uh, there together. And so imagine you're Peter, James, and John (laughs) and you've just experienced something like that, what we just saw. And now, dead Moses and dead Elijah, two dead old famous guys from the Old Testament, just appeared before you, and you're walking down the mountain, and they're like walking down like this, and then the other disciples are like, so guys, how was your field trip with Jesus? Can you imagine Peter, James, and John? Oh, you know, ain't no thing, just saw a blinding light, and Jesus started glowing, and then we saw dead Moses and dead Elijah come to life. Other than that, it was a completely normal prayer time, Right? Can you imagine this for them? It's it's, it's incredible. And so, not just any Bible heroes. This is Moses, who we know from earlier in the story, received the law from God on behalf of the people. And then we have Elijah, who's basically the central prophet of all prophets. You have to understand, for thousands of years, it was prophesied that when the Messiah comes, that he will be the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophets. He will be even greater than Moses and Elijah. So these, Peter, James, and John are these good God-fearing Jews, and they're standing there. They just wake up. This might have been at night. Who has a prayer time in the middle of the night besides Jesus, right? And they're waking up, and they see Jesus glowing before them, and over here is Moses, kind of in a glow, kind of like an Obi-Wan Kenobi sort of thing, Star Wars. And then over here is Elijah, two of the greatest celebrities of the faith that they have ever known, and yet one glow is brighter. One person stands in the middle, and that's Jesus. Only God can stand in the center. Nobody has the right to stand in that gap unless they are the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophets. Jesus is who he says he is. Now, why does this matter? Because even to this point in Jesus' ministry, people still aren't quite sure who he is. Well, he's done some cool things, and he's healed some people, and, and, and he's a pretty cool guy with some pretty good teaching. 
but they were still unsure. And this is why Luke writes the signs like this, and we'll just call this so we remember famous guys, right? Moses and Elijah. That's the sign that they encounter these famous guys, but the reason it matters is because Luke is trying to convince us to show us that for his audience and for us here today, that Christianity is not about Jesus coming to us on our terms the way that we want him, but rather him coming to us on his own terms as Lord, as the Messiah. I love how the great Christian author C.S. Lewis once wrote this. Do you know he was an atheist for most of his life? And then as he started to think critically about this, and hear me say that, started to think critically. He didn't check his brain at the door. Some of the smartest, most educated people I know have a rock star faith. And that's because our intellect and our faith are not opposed. They work beautifully together when it comes to belief. And here's C.S. Lewis, and he writes this, and I'll be up on the screen. Let me read this for you. It's talking about Jesus. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said could not just be a great moral teacher. He would either be a liar or a lunatic. Either this man was and is the son of God or not. You can shut him up for being a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him simply being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Don't you love that? That's a pretty bold statement. Today, there is no doubt that among us here today in the crowd today, there are people that are at all different stages of your journey. Some of you are here at the beginning and you're just discovering who Jesus is. Others of you are a little bit farther along and you're learning how to put your faith into action. Some of you have been following Jesus for a very long time. But the reality is for all of us, no matter where we're at on that journey, the beautiful thing is that in the Gospels, Jesus never forces himself on us. Jesus never begs us to follow him. Instead, he simply says, this is who I am. And you can either live in the light or you can either live in the darkness. Come and see. Come to me. And wherever we're at on that journey, at a certain point, all of us are called to stop floating through life and stop floating through our faith journey And decide for ourselves, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? There's there's no gray area with Jesus, right? But so often we live lives of casual faith. (laughs) If Jesus is Lord, then I'm just thinking about this for me personally, then my life should probably look a lot differently most days than it does. Because I'm the Lord of my life most days, functionally. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one setting my boundaries. I'm the one that's my own authority. I'm the one setting my priorities. And maybe that's true of you as well. But if Jesus is our Lord, he cannot be sort of important in our lives. We would never say this, but so often what we do is we live as if, well, Jesus is just kind of like the next Moses. He's just the guy that gives us the rules. 
or we live as if Jesus is just sort of the new Elijah and he's just a prophet, he's just a good teacher who has some good thoughts and some good suggestions and when I get around to it, I'll listen to what Jesus says, but really, I just want to do life my own way. And so we live there or there, but Jesus says, I'm right in the middle. I want a relationship with you every single day. Jesus is in the center and he's asking, where do I stand in your life today? I want you to just think with me for a second. Jesus asked, do I stand at the center of your marriage? Is the reason that you are married to bring glory to me and to show my love to other people? Is that the reason your marriage exists? Or is it for your own pleasure? What is at the center of your parenting, Jesus asks. Is the reason that you're raising these kids in the faith so that they'll behave or so that they'll love Jesus passionately for the rest of their lives? What is your motive for how you use your finances? Is Jesus at the the center of your social life? Is he at the center of your friendships? Is he at the center of every single day? What do you love? Jesus asked, what was the highlight of your summer? What was the highlight of your life so far? What are you passionate about? What what stands in the middle? And I pray that when somebody asks me that, not because I'm a pastor or because I'm kind of twisting it to sound more Christian, I want to authentically say unashamedly, I'm a Jesus freak and I really don't care what anybody thinks about that. I love him with my whole heart. And he stands at the center of my life unashamedly. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen? And I'm not ashamed to say that. Like, he's right there. You people, oh, you're just a little bit too crazy, John. You're just a little bit too wound up. Is there any other way to live for Jesus? Is there any other way to live but at the very center? The sign is there's these famous guys. The question for us is, the reality is, Jesus won't settle for being any less than our everything. Jesus is everything. Jesus stands in the middle of Moses and Elijah and says, where do I stand in your life? Am I at the dead center of everything that you are and everything that you do? Or has your faith sort of slipped into casual Christianity? I'll pray when I have time. I'll get to worship when I have time. I'll bring my kids up in the faith when I have time, when it's comfortable, when it's convenient. I'll serve when it's easy for me. Jesus says, I'm standing right at the center of the entire story. And I will not settle for being anything less than your everything because I have given you everything. So don't settle for anything less than that today. Jesus is glowing. Two famous dead guys from the Old Testament are standing next to him like holograms, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, and yet we're not done. The story continues. Keep going. Look at verse 34. As if the disciples were not completely overwhelmed already. Verse 34. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered over them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is not where you store your your stuff from your computer. This is a different kind of cloud. Verse 35, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So don't miss the sign of the cloud, although it's so much more than a cloud. 
Once again, if you look at the Jewish audience that, G, that, that Luke is writing to here, you would understand that throughout the Old Testament, there is no more tangible sign for God's presence than the cloud. This is what people associate with God's presence. As they traveled, as the Israelites traveled throughout the Old Testament on their journey to the Promised Land, we know that this special place called the Tabernacle, this big tent, traveled with them. And when the cloud the presence of God hovered over the temple, that's when God was near. That's when God was close. And that's why we read in Exodus chapter 40, verse 38, we read this. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. If the cloud's near, then God is near. And yet here's the thing. Only the priest could enter that part of the tabernacle, back where the, the altar was, back where the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence was. Ordinary people like you and I were not allowed to be in there. Only the priests, only the, the Levites were able to go back there. And here's Peter, James, and John, who about a year ago were nobody's kind of stinky fishermen that had nothing going for them in their lives, outcasts, three schmucks are now standing next to Jesus on top of the mountain being covered by the cloud being in the presence of God. If that does not convince you that you are in, I don't know what does. Some of you feel like, I feel so far away from God. Let me just say, if you're feeling that today, he's not the one who's left. He is as close to you as a cloud. If you've ever been to the top of a mountain, when the clouds come across the mountaintops and the clouds just hover down on top of you, that's the presence of God in your life every single day. That's the cloud. Right in the middle of it. Pay attention to the signs. Pay attention to the signs. This is a sacred space. A sacred space where not everybody gets to go. This reminded me uh, this week, growing up a pastor's kid, I told you a story about my son, Caleb. I want to tell you a story this week about me. A little bit older, around eight years old, I grew up in the same house, the same church my entire life. We moved there when I was eight weeks old, and my dad has been the pastor of this church for almost 33 years. And it's this big old brick church, and you can imagine as the pastor's kid, I'm a church rat, so I'm there all the time. And I know the corners and the closets and everywhere of this church. I know it probably better than anybody else. And it's this big, massive building, and up in front of the sanctuary, there was one, I mean, I'd been everywhere in this church except one place, back behind the altar. Did anybody grow up with a church that kind of looked like that in front? You know what I'm saying? Just show of hands so I know I'm not talking crazy here. Okay, so some of you understand. That's the front of a typical Lutheran church, and back behind there, nobody knows what's back there. <laughs> right? I, not even the pastor's kid. The only person that I ever seen go back there was Susan, and she was the senior choir director. She was this older lady, and she was, like, very serious. And honestly, I kind of thought, you know how you kind of think weird in your eight-year-old mind sometimes? I was thinking, Maybe the Holy Spirit lives back there. Or maybe it's just Susan that lives back there. I don't know. Like, <laughs> one of the two, because she's always here directing the choir, right? So this is my, as much as my eight-year-old mind uh, can comprehend. Anyway, it was off limits for ordinary people. 
It was off limits for, no, nobody else could be back there, especially kids. Why would you let, ever let kids back there? Until one day, I'm waiting for my dad, and I'm getting a little bored, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back there and see what's back. I might die, but what a good way to go out, right? <laughs> and so I start tiptoeing back behind there, and it's kind of dark and cloudy and musty and kind of smelled like my grandma's house. I'm like, this is what the Holy Spirit's like, right? This is what I thought. And before I could go any further, I hear this deep, scary woman's voice say, hey, <laughs> she didn't have that deep a voice. Hey, what are you doing back here? And I remember this, I turned around and it was Susan and she's like eight feet tall and I'm so short. It's the choir director, probably wearing her robe. Like she just met with the Holy Spirit or something. And she's looking down on me. She said, who said that you could come back here? And I'm like, oh. It was kind of like that. The organ was playing in the background. I'm ready to go up to heaven, right? And before I could answer, I hear the voice of my dad and his hand. There's a hand on my shoulder. And I hear my dad's voice say, it's okay, Susan. He's with me. He can be back here if he wants. And I looked around, and it was my dad. And he's the pastor, so take that. Right? <laughs> Susan. And, like, there was this overwhelming feeling of relief that came over. Because, number, number one, I'm not going to die. And, number two, I belonged there. Like, it was okay for me, a little eight-year-old ordinary boy, to be in like the holiest place of the church. And when Jesus is covered with the cloud of God's presence, God is telling us that because of what Jesus is gonna do on the cross, there's not gonna be a need for the cloud anymore. There's not gonna be any more spaces where only some people can go because your sin will no longer separate you from me. Because even though we stand, you and I, before a holy God, when God looks at you and, and, and sees sin and impurity and unrighteousness, Jesus puts his hand on your shoulder this morning and says, it's okay, you're with me. You have a right to stand before a holy God, not because you're good enough, but because of I'm good enough, because of what I've done on the cross. Feel his hand on your shoulder this morning say, it's okay, you're with me. You belong with me, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how long you've been away from the church, no matter how unworthy you feel today, no matter how disconnected you feel today, Jesus says to you, you have unlimited access to me. You have unlimited access to me. Anytime, anywhere. Not just one day a week in church. Jesus says, seriously, I want to just live life with you. And you can come and talk to me anytime, anywhere. The sign is the cloud. The reality is unlimited access. You have unlimited access to the God of the universe. You're with him. You're connected to him. And so you would think that the story ends there, that that's it. Those are the three signs, and we can go home, but we miss the dramatic conclusion. Look at verse 37. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. They didn't stay on the mountain. 
guys, this could have been the pinnacle of Jesus' career. This is it. He's arrived. He gets lit up like lightning. He gets God's endorsement. He's standing with Moses and Elijah. It would be very easy for Jesus to say, this is where it ends. Let's stop right here. I had my mountaintop experience. I, I have this emotional high. that The ministry could end right here. I made it. But fame is not why Jesus came. The mission is why Jesus came. Lost and hurting people are why Jesus came. So what does Jesus do after his mountaintop experience? He goes right back down into the valley and gets his hands messy in the lives of people that need him. He doesn't stay on the mountain and say, look at me, I'm famous, I'm the glorious one. He says, Peter, James, and John, let's go. Let's get down to business. We've got work to do, serving and loving and healing. And this is where Peter got it all wrong. Earlier in the story, G Peter opens his big mouth and goes, uh, should we like camp out here and hang out and have a campfire, you know, with Moses and Elijah? And Jesus goes, no, Peter, you're missing it. We don't live our lives on the mountaintops. We're called to live our lives in the valley. And sometimes we think that God is only found in the good times. We think that God is only found in the emotional highs or, or when we feel close to him or in those spiritual experiences that make us feel good. I, I feel really close to God when I hear an inspiring sermon or, or we have worship and I get all jazzed up. But, but by the middle of the week, it's like, God, where are you? Well, this is the story for you because our God doesn't stay up on the mountain. He walks down into the valley with you. The reality is Jesus says, you want to feel close to me? You want to be where the action is? Well, then we need to get to work. We need to go down to the valley. And last but not least, the final sign is the valley. The reality is you have been called to join Jesus there. Not on the mountaintops, remembering the good old days of, of when your faith was on fire and, oh, at my old church or my old small group or that old ministry or the mission trip that I took five years ago or that old group or whatever it was. Nor is our place with Jesus to be on the sideline as, as commentators to ministry and saying, well, you know, if I was in charge, I'd be doing this and, and you know, I, I kind of like to critique this and, and be a commentator on this. Christianity doesn't need more Monday morning quarterbacks. We don't need more commentators. We need more people that are willing to follow Jesus from the top of the mountain down into the valley and go do it. And go do the work of ministry. And so what I want to leave you with today is three tangible ways that we can do that as a church. If there's anything we've learned in our seven years as a church is that we don't often go looking for mission. Mission comes and finds us. The needs of the city come and find us. And I just want to highlight three for you this morning. Number one, kids. I was kind of joking, but kind of being serious when we dismissed the kids and half the church got up and left. We got a lot of kids, particularly the, the nursery age. And I, with two kids now myself, it has just dawned on me, and I don't know why I didn't realize this before. You want to go where the action is? You want to make a difference? Love some kids. Love some kids. We need help in the nursery. We've got gobs of kids that need to be loved and cared for. What better way to be the family than that? We've got gobs of kids in Kingdom Quest 
They need people to teach them. Go into the valley. See the signs. Number two, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're kind of busting at the seams up here for breakfast. There's over 100 people that come to this church that don't have a way to get here. And we've got the buses, but we don't have the drivers right now. Follow Jesus down from the mountaintop into the valley to where the action is. We need some people to drive some buses so that half of the people sitting around you this morning can be here and experience what you're experiencing. And last but not least, we have this small little Jesus party coming up in a week called Vacation Bible School. And you are not going to want to miss it. I just have a feeling that if Jesus showed up in Des Moines from, oh, let's say, July 20th to July 25th, man, this is where he'd be. Let the little children come to me. Let's go down into the valley. Let's start doing some ministry. Let's get our hands dirty in people's lives that are hurting and broken. Let's get after it. Let's not stay on the mountain. Let's not stay on the sideline. Let's be the church. I want to leave you with this challenge. Long for the mountaintops. That's not bad to long for those experiences. Long for the mountaintops, but live in the valley. Let me say that one more time. Long for the mountaintop experiences of life, but join Jesus and live in the valleys where the people are, where the ministry is, these are the people. This is the time. These are the kids. It's time to be the church. Don't miss the signs. Don't miss Jesus this summer. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, we just come before you this morning and we we open ourselves up to you. Jesus, we want everything that you have for us. We don't want to settle for a half-hearted faith. We don't want to settle for a faith that only stays on the mountaintops of life or a faith that's on the sidelines looking on. God, there's nothing more important than being with you. And when we spend time with you, you propel us into mission. We want to follow your lead this morning. God, we are in awe of you. As they were on the mountain that night, we are in awe of your glory. But I pray that we would also be compelled by your mission to go back down the mountain and into the valleys of the life. God, would you show us where those valleys are? Would you show us where those hurting people are? Would you intersect our lives with kids, with more and more kids from these neighborhoods that need to know that they are loved, that they are not alone, that they are not walking in darkness? God, thank you for the opportunity that you have given us as a church to be the light of the world, to be your light in this city. And I pray that we would shine brightly, that we would go be the church, and that we would reach out to the world around us with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And all God's people prayed together. Amen.